Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us for what I hope very interesting and informative discussion today around some of the latest data in rheumatology. My name is Professor Peter Nash from Griffith University, beautiful downtown Brisbane in Australia. And today I'd like to welcome to the CSF Forum, Dr. Rebecca Haberman from the Department of Medicine, Division of Rheumatology, New York University, the Grossman School of Medicine, and the Psoriatic Arthritis Centre. So welcome, Rebecca. Thank you so much for giving up your time. Today, we're going to talk about her recently published paper in the BMJ Open, uh, the efficacy of gasolcomab, an IL-23 inhibitor, a P19 inhibitor, in preventing PSO turning into PSA, which is a very hot topic at the moment. And this is really just the protocol paper, not the results paper, but it's a very hot topic. We're very interested in how you go about finding the patients, seeing what happens with them. So can we just start a little bit with your background, where you work and what your interests are? Sure, and thank you for having me. So as you mentioned, I'm at NYU here and I work at the Psoriatic Arthritis Center. In addition to seeing patients with psoriatic arthritis, basically, day in and day out. We also do a lot of research and my particular interests are on mental health in psoriatic disease and also the progression from skin psoriasis to joint and infusial involvement. And what are the protective factors and what are the risk factors that might lead to that progression? Um, and you're working with a group with Jose Scher and a few of the others? Yes, exactly. So I work very closely with Jose Scher. Okay, so we'll talk a little bit about this paper and you can tell us about the protocol. So about one in three PSO patients do progress to PSA and you've quoted 3% a year as the rate of conversion um, and that skin is five to seven years prior to the development of PSA in most patients, not all, there's 15% or so the other way around. Can you tell us a little bit about what are the risk factors that you've identified that will give you an increased chance of converting PSO to PSA? So, so far, all of the risk factors that we know of are from more cross-sectional studies, but things that have been looked at, for example, are where your psoriasis is. So you're more likely to progress to psoriatic arthritis if you have psoriasis in your scalp involving your nails. And some studies also quote inverse psoriasis. Um, What's more... inverse psoriasis for those who don't know? So it's psoriasis that is in your skin fold. So it can be in the groin or under the breast or in the axilla, for example. Okay. Um, other risk factors include having a first degree relative who has psoriatic arthritis already. Obesity has also been shown to be a risk factor. If you're heavier, you're also more likely to progress as well. So those are some of the things that we look at um, specifically. Now, you also mentioned um, some imaging things we'll talk about, but some genetic polymorphisms. Is it routine for you guys to be checking CW6 and some of these other things in your patients, or is that more on the research agenda? We do it more in the research agenda. It's not really something we do clinically because I'm not 100% sure what I would do with that information for my patients in a clinical setting. So I usually avoid you know, checking any of the genetic polymorphisms and leave that more for research right now. 
Okay, and you do mention that various imaging modalities that show, you've said HRCT and MRI that show emphysitis, so no emphysial disease is a risk factor. Uh, can you outline a little bit about that, please? Yes, and this is actually a very difficult topic because sometimes you say, if on imaging you already have emphysitis, does that mean you already have psoriatic arthritis or does that mean you're already at risk for developing it? But studies that have looked um, at the um, MRIs, for example, also ultrasound have shown that people who have abnormalities of inflammation on their imaging are more likely to progress to psoriatic arthritis. Routinely now though, in clinical practice, we're not putting patients who don't have symptoms through imaging to be able to tell that. So that's one of the things I was going to ask you about because you're going to exclude people who already have PSA using CASPAR and other things. And you're going to, you'll have to tell us a little bit about the RMPSA song, but you're saying you've got to have a score above 3.6, but one of the exclusions is having a lot of Enthesitis. So we know psoriatics often have painless involvement with various things. So maybe that's the group you're going to capture. Exactly. So these are people who, if and when they have inflammation on their imaging, it's subclinical, meaning they're not having any pain, they're not complaining of anything. So these mm. um, participants have no pain, nothing clinically that would tell us that they have psoriatic arthritis already. And the um, ultrasound scoring that you're referring to is a scale that goes up to the hundreds. So a score of over 3.6 is actually very, very little. So these patients aren't having overt, terrible emphysitis, even though they have that score. It's usually very little, even when you do the ultrasounds. And the prevention of progression with advanced therapies like biologics, the, the results have been quite variable, whether it's a cohort study or in a PSO population. What's your feeling about whether a biologic can prevent progression based on prior studies? So it's hard. Mostly the studies have all been cross-sectional, as you mentioned. Um, and they've shown different things. Some of the studies have shown that it will prevent progression. Mostly those were done um, in patients who already had psoriasis. And then a couple of studies have shown that it might increase the risk of progression. Although those studies were done more on a population basis and there might be a lot of confounding there and some bias in terms of how things are necessarily coded. And the one prospective study, which was out of Leahy Eater's group in Toronto, showed that TNF agents did not prevent progression. So we have really data both ways, but none of it in a controlled trial type setting. So that's exactly what we want to set out to do. We are hoping, our hypothesis is that we will prevent and decrease the rate of progression to psoriatic arthritis but that's what we'll really need to see. So tell us a little bit about the methods. How are you going to do this study? What are you, what are you doing? So we are doing this at 
five sites actually in the US and in Canada. So it's here at NYU, also in Rochester, uh, Brigham and Women's, Toronto, um, and Newfoundland. And we are having patients, we are recruiting patients who have psoriasis, of course, but have not developed psoriatic arthritis. The patients have at least 3% body surface area so that they are candidates for systemic therapy for their psoriasis anyway. And um, we're giving them either buselcomab or a placebo, we don't know, for six months. We're ultrasounding them before and then at six months to see if we can also change any of their ultrasound scores, as you mentioned, we're looking at. And then we're following them on for two years to see if we can see a difference in the rate of transition, both between the group that received the guselcomab the whole time, as well as those who were on placebo first and then switched the drug, but also compared to more of a natural history arm. So these are all patients who meet all the same inclusion and exclusion criteria as the patients who are receiving the drug but do not want to go on any biologics. So we're comparing the patients who are all on drug at two years to those who do not want to go on systemic therapy. Fair enough. And you've picked people who are not on background methotrexate or primalast or anything else. Um, I was interested that the double blind period only goes for six months. Is that going to be long enough, do you think? So that is definitely one of our limitations and also why we've included ultrasound as one of our endpoints to see if we can change any of the subclinical inflammation that we see there. And it's also why we've included the natural history arm as really the comparator. So it's it can't be necessarily a placebo control the entire time just because of ethics. These are all people who want to go on biologics to treat their psoriasis. So for mm. six months, you know, they can use topicals, they can use UV therapy, but we didn't think keeping them off these medications for two years was necessarily ethical, which is why we have that secondary comparison group of our natural history arm. And your primary, um, primary endpoint is in fact change in ultrasound, which is also very interesting because we've had issues in the, in the field with the reliability of ultrasound maybe even across different centers where some people have a positive Doppler signal, no symptoms. Other people have symptoms and a negative Doppler signal. It isn't as clear cut as people like to think that Doppler ultrasound will be a surrogate for active disease. Yes, and we definitely see that it's not because all these people who are going under ultrasound don't have any symptoms already. And I would, not all, but a lot of patients are screening into the study. We do have some that don't have enough of a score, but a lot of patients are screening in and none of them have any symptoms. What we are trying to do though, at least for the ultrasound is make it very consistent across sites. So we have two central readers of our ultrasounds who are reading every single ultrasound at every single time point. And they gave a course to all of our ultrasonographers on how to do the images. There is an atlas and a protocol of exactly how to do the images. And they also give feedback to the ultrasonographers. So if one of the images are not up to par, they'll actually have them 
repeat it or not include them. So that's how we're trying to be as stringent as possible in terms of looking at the ultrasounds. Yeah, so it'll be challenging. And I, I can also see you've only got 100 patients in each arm. And standard of care might actually reduce some progression, maybe not as much as uh, active treatment. And if you have PSA trials, always have a lot of dropouts, you know, up to 30, 35% and a placebo response. So I just thought 350 really wasn't a lot of people for, for this kind of answer over six months, but maybe longer term out to two years, you'll start to show some differences as long as you don't get too many dropouts, I suppose. Exactly. And we have tried to enrich our population of people who may progress. So we talked a little bit about before, one of the things that we're doing is having people have at least 3% body surface area. And we're also aiming to enroll people who have had psoriasis for at least two years already to try and catch them in that five to seven, five to 10 year window as opposed to people who are newly diagnosed to try and catch that as much as possible. But of course, you really need a 10, 20 year study of this to really be able to tell. Well, good luck. So um, the other thing is stratifying for site and for gender. So that's become very um, topical now, gender differences, higher baseline disease activity, lesser response to therapy. Talk a little bit about the impact of gender. Yeah, so exactly what you just mentioned. There's a lot going on in gender about females having more disease activity, more pain, and maybe even being less responsive to medications. There was just an ACR abstract from Leaky Eaters group that showed this, that women are just not responding as much. So we definitely want to make sure we have enough women and men to be able to tell if we see the difference. Yeah, I think that's pretty important. And microbiome is right up Jose Scher's alley. You're yeah. doing some studies on the microbiome. What are you looking at? Yeah, so we're looking at, um, basically we're collecting stool samples as much as our patients will give them to us. Not everyone is as willing, but we're looking for alpha diversity, meaning how much and how diverse is the population of the microbiome in the gut. And then looking specifically at the different microbes and their relative ratios to each other to see if there is a difference between those who progress, for example, and those who do not progress. And you're going to do some genetics as well? Yes. So as much as possible, we're going to biosample not only for genetics, but also to look at um, different immune cells and see, try to figure out exactly at a cellular level and a genetic level who are these patients who progress. So also using it as a chance to really understand the pathogenesis of disease. Okay, thank you very much. Um, we appreciate your assistance. Any, any other comments you wanna make about the study? How can people in North America and Canada get in touch if they wanna volunteer uh, their patients for your trials? Yes, so they can reach out to me um, or to Jose Cher, Christopher Richland, Leahy Eater, Joseph Marola. We're all involved in the study, Proton Ramen. Um, if they are interested, as of right now, it's really only patients who can reach one of our centers to be enrolled because the ultrasound is so specific. But we are probably going to roll out to other sites over the next year or so. 
Yeah, I think you, you'll need numbers. So any other comments, any other take-home message for um, the audience about the whole area of PSO becoming PSA and the likely impact of uh, biologics? Yeah, the only thing that I will mention is where we picked an IL-23 agent for this study because of the pathogenesis, its relative risk, how well it does with psoriasis. But we also know that this itself may, this one molecule may not be the answer. We might be picking the wrong mechanism of actions, for example. But we do think that just because patients who have psoriatic arthritis, up to 50% of them with the available medications we have now are still having symptoms that we need a new way to treat them. So whether that be new targets or combined targets, or what we're hoping for is actually prevention. It's gonna be really important for the quality of life of our patients. And I think one of the advantages is the 23s in particular, but also the 17s, they're so safe compared to what exactly. we've been using in the past, that there isn't really a major downside um, using an agent like this in early disease, particularly asymptomatic people. Yes, exactly. And it's so effective for their psoriasis, which they already have and they already want to treat. So it's for a lot of the patients in this, it's a win for them because they don't have to feel deal with fighting insurance to get these medications. And for us that we're able to really observe them and see how they do over time. That should guarantee a high placebo response. Well done. Um, <laughs> so thank you again for your time, Rebecca. If you'd like to know more about this paper and other papers uploaded to the CSF forum website this month, you can get detailed slide sets are available in the publication section at cytokinesimian.com. Please subscribe to this podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast media and let us know what you think. So thank you so much for your time. We greatly appreciate it. Thank Good you. luck with your study. Thank you.